One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, Chris Evans here. Thank you for downloading this week's podcast of the Best of Breakfast Show with Sky from Virgin Radio. Coming up, game show superhost Stephen Mulhern on his latest primetime ITV show, Rolling In It. Tickets, please, as broadcaster Michael Portillo invites us on another train journey with his latest excellent series on BBC Two. Silicon Valley design Don Bill Burnett tells us about his new book, Designing Your Work Life. And hot pop god Ronan Keating takes us through his new solo anniversary album, 2020. All that and loads more still to come. Now, Vassos, tell us who's our first guest. We have lots to thank our next guest for, from magic music to matchmaking. He is a proper superstar. He's just released his 11th solo album, 2020. He's just welcomed another baby to the world. And he once introduced Chris to his wife, Natasha. Please welcome the really rather great Ronan Keating. Morning, Ronan. (laughs) Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, Can I thank you for all my children, first of all, before we move on? Thank you for that. How, are, how is your wonderful wife and children? Great. Oh, well, well yeah, four four out of five, by the way. We had, we had a grandson, a new grandson a couple of weeks yeah. ago. So Tash is a grandma now. Oh. The lady you introduced me to oh. on that golf course that afternoon is now a grandma twice over. Can you believe it, Ronan? Holy moly. Congratulations. <laughs> I didn't realise. That's amazing. Right. Oh, well, we're, we're, we're So we're five kids in, two grandkids. Um, now... Uh, little um, Sonny, our, our newest grandson, is now the 18th great-grandchild of great-grandma Barbara. Uh, where are you up to? You Are you coming near to our kid count? Anywhere near to us now, Ronan? Okay, I have five children now, so I have the same. Five no off, grandchildren, five thank off, God, yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. My eldest boy is 21, Jack, and yeah, you know, he wouldn't be a million miles away from possibly settling down and I could catch up with you but I can't see that happening in the next five years but four for, years for, just from the kids point three. of view so we're, 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 <laughs> so we're maybe three months so um, we're five all from a kid's point of view are we going for a decider or not I just just I just need to know I'm happy either way just so long as I know no 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 the snip is looming I'm uh, my wife and I have had the conversation and I'm I'm, I'm going for it I'm going for the snip Right, okay, so that's definitely going to happen. This isn't going to be in any papers tomorrow, is it? Ronan has gone no, for this. No. <laughs> I'm going for this. I'm, I'm hoping that I get it. I'm hoping yeah. I get a freebie. That's why I'm telling you on the radio. <laughs> Many people resorting to playing Snap are, are under lockdown. Okay, Ronan going for a Snip under lockdown. Okay. Um, yeah. So, now, you know the, the, the uh, vasectomy is what we're talking about. Let's, let's face it here. Is reversible, I think, within yeah. the first 12 months. So you, you're still... Okay. So this conversation could yeah, still be had. Yeah, it could be. What about, what about this one, Ronan? Okay, so our twins... Um, with the miracles, as all as all babies are anyway, but they were particular miracles of mm. IVF and the fourth or fifth round of IVF. And um, I am no longer required. So Tash still has a couple of frozen eggs that are all, already done. They're already, you know, they're, everything that's, that needs to be happened to these eggs is required. And um, right. every, every three or four months, I have, she gets me signing these forms again. I said, what's this for? She said, oh, for the <laughs> continuing refrigeration of the eggs. I said, but I thought we were done. She said, no, we are. So well, what's this special? No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, what do you do there, Ronan? What's going on there? Oh, um, 
What is going on there? I think Maybe it, you should ask questions. I really. think it could be six five to the Evanses. Uh, come this time next it year. It could be. Right. It could be. It could be. It could be all out. Yeah. Okay. Twenty twenty. Uh, tell us about this album. Come on, off you go. Eleventh. Uh, Eleventh studio record, which is mental. I went solo twenty years ago. When you say nothing at all. Well um, and. Basically, I was I was making this record after leaving Boy, Boys on wrapped up end of last year. We after 26 years, 25 years, I just thought I was just going head headstrong into a new solo album, and I realised that it was 20 years since I went solo. I thought, well, I should really probably, you know, out of respect for that, tip of the cap to 20 years, make a record that kind of shows what I've you know what I've done, what I've been through, the people. And this album kind of just kind of organically happened like that. Rob, Robbie Williams is on there, Shania Twain, Ed Sheeran, Alison Krauss, Emily Sande, Nina Nesbitt, Claire Bowen. It, it, that wasn't planned. The collaboration thing wasn't planned. It just kind of happened by accident. And, and what a beautiful accident. I mean, it's just phenomenal. I'm, I'm, I'm honoured. Yeah, that's not one accident. That's not one fortunate accident. That's like nine fortunate accidents. No. How, how, that's like yeah, a, a, unbelievable. a pile up of a good fortune. How, how does that come about? Do, do you make yeah. the calls? Do they make the calls? Do they, do they hear a buzz on the grapevine? What? Well, it started with Emily Sunday. I'm, I'm a big fan of Emily's, and, and I've been trying to you know work with her for, for a long time. And finally, our paths crossed, and you know the diaries were right, and we could you know we finally got to do a record together. And then it, with Rob, I was. It was Stephen Gately's 10-year anniversary last October, and we were out doing a, you know, we did Loose Women and a few of the tellies and, and the boys and I, uh, out of respect for Steele, talk about Steele, celebrate his life. And I came home that evening, I was standing in the kitchen, and my email went, and it was an email from Robbie uh, to say, mate, I saw you on TV today, forgot that I'd written this song for Stephen 10 years ago. Here it is, you know, it's for you. And I was like, what the, standing there with tears in my eyes listening to this song, and I said, Rob, we've got to do something, man. We've got to do this record. He said, let's do it. And and then we, we got into the studio and created this song. And, and then it kind of snowballed from there. People started, you know, meeting people or, or you know, I reached out to people, Ed or Alison Krauss, um, to get her on When You Say Nothing At All. That was a big deal for me. I mean, she sang the original. It was Richard Curtis sent me that version of Alison Krauss. And I thought, well, oh, this would be amazing 20 years later to work with Alison and, and um you know, that, that came off and, and Ed played guitar on it, which was very special. So, yeah, just these amazing moments that created this album. What a lovely story. And, you know, this is you don't need to hear me saying this because uh, you pr- probably embarrass you. But this is a testament to how how well regarded um, Ronan is in the business and as a, as a person. So because this is people oh, coming. Wanted, no, but it's true. Though, Ronan, you're a, you are a lovely, lovely human being. 2020 out now. Um, RonanKeating.com is Thanks, where you need bro. to go. What's the chances of this tour happening, pal? 4th of Jan to the 2nd of Feb. Well, you're, you've got your finger on the pulse more than I do. You tell me, pal. Hopefully it will. I mean, yep. you know, we are uh, slightly relaxing the laws. Um, we can now do shop concerts outdoors. Um, so that's kind of helping. Uh, whether or not we can get back into theatres and, and so on. You know, we can sit next to each other on a plane or on a train uh, as long as we're wearing a mask. So why we can't get back into venues um, and and watch our favourite, you know, West End shows or, or concerts, I don't know. But fingers crossed over the next week or two, we're going to find out more. And I hope January happens. Ronan, uh, lots yeah. of love. Uh, thank you for my children. Thank you for my marriage. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. I don't need to know any more about our next guest because I love him, but in case you do, here's Vassos. If it's shiny, showbiz and silly, there's a strong chance our next guest is hosting it. The new celeb pack game show rolling it 
in it. It's coming to ITV very soon, so please welcome a man that always gives it welly on your telly. It's the consistently brilliant Stephen Mulhern. Morning, Steve. Wow. Morning, Stephen. What an intro. Good morning. Right. So, once well, again, once again, here we go. Here's the intro. It's shiny, showbiz and silly. There's a strong chance, if it is, our next guest is hosting it. The new Celeb Pack game show, Rolling In It, is coming to ITV very soon. Celeb Packed. I never stop saying how good you are. I never get invited onto any of your shows. Celebrity catchphrase. And now this Celebrity Rolling In It. And not only that, in for a penny, your last series, Stephen, we even sponsored the damn thing. And I still don't get an invite. <laughs> Okay, well, this is the perfect time. Chris, will you come on, please? No. <laughs> Next year, the rolling in it. And you know what? We don't even have celebs on in for a penny, but you can. Well, look, if you tell me where you're going to do the next in for a penny, I could just, you know, be be, be uh, coincidentally shopping at the nearest Lidl or whatever. <laughs> Couldn't I? Okay, we, we can sort that. So I was going to ask you first of all about in for a penny, because, you know, uh, with social distancing and all that, um, I'm... Yeah. If there was a series uh, scheduled to be filmed, you'd had to, had to put that on hold. But I hear you're doing one very soon, in fact. Yeah, we, st- we start next Tuesday. We're in Torquay next Tuesday. And um, honestly, the team that we've got, I like the team that you've got. We work so hard on making sure that the games are right. And obviously, this has been the hardest thing because obviously all the games have to be socially distanced, yeah. obviously. So we come up with new games like, um, so we've got the piggy bank uh, shape, which is where we've got a clear piggy bank with just one P in it. And all you've got is 30 seconds to shake it out. We've got pedestrian question, which I'll try with you now. Let's give this a quick go. So, um, 60 seconds. I can't. I won't do all 10 questions, but I'll give you three. So, for example, I'll say to you, okay, um, time starts now. Who do you think's got the best sense of humour, Barry from EastEnders or Barry Manilow? I'm not playing because I'm not been invited on your show. I'm not playing. Sorry, <laughs> no chance. You're not going to give me now. You're going to say, well, there you go. That was sort of a celebi thing on the radio. We did it for three questions. I'm not. I'm not being part of it, Stephen. You got no chance, mate. Absolutely. No. Talk to my agent. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Barry Manilow. Actually, I think no, no, incorrect. No, right. I don't. You can't agree. be incorrect. That's what I think. That's my opinion. There's no, no right answer. There's only the judge. What? One more. What's my worst nightmare? Magic being banned or Ryland hosting catchphrase? Well, hang on a minute. You said three questions. Now you said one more. Now we're down to two. So, but you were banning me from your show just a minute ago. You were saying you're going to play. Okay, I think Ryland hosting catchphrase because he's surprisingly good at hosting game shows. I agree with you. Correct. Okay, um, okay final one. Um, what would you rather watch? Um, ben Shepard's tipping point or Alexander Armstrong's pointless? I'm too confused because now we're back to three. I don't understand what's going on. Now you've got right, to give me the... Because full... you're changing the rules. <laughs> <laughs> what was the question anyway, again? Anyway, we're from Tuesday. All what, is good. <laughs> what was the question again? What would you rather watch? Ben Shepard's tipping point or Alexander Armstrong's uh, pointless? I, th- I think tipping point because it's over quicker. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> no, no, I like, no. I like pointless. It just takes forever. That's the only thing. I know they're both great shows, but the the, the other one, which is socially distanced, which I think is going to be a stormer, especially if the weather stays like this, is that somebody lies on a floor. They've got an ice cream cone in their mouth, mm-hmm. and their partner or brother, whoever they live with, has to try and get a scoop of ice cream. They've got three chances: drop it from the ladder, get it on the cone. If they do it, they win ninety-nine pound, and if they get a plate, then they win a hundred. I, I think you should do this. Okay, okay. You know, you know I love all this stuff anyway, right? So, so, so same thing. Okay, ice cream in somebody's mouth who you love, right? They're lying down. You get um, uh, a driver, a golf club, right? It's how far, <laughs> how far you can hit the ice cream out of out of somebody who you love's mouth without killing them, right? And it's like <laughs> it's like the, it's called the ice cream cone driving range, and you line five people up with five people they love. 
and it's whoever can hit the ice cream further or get ice the ice cream furthest or the flake furthest actually without um causing serious injury to whoever it is they're doing it with. Do you know what the irony is we've been trying to come up with a golf uh, a golf game a go. crazy golf there you go i well, think we've now got it if that does make the air and that somebody does get injured, are you going to take the responsibility? It depends whether I'm getting paid for that particular format point or not. <laughs> but see what I mean? Mm. You're too quick for me. I know I say this every time you come on the show, but you're so good on the telly. We could watch you forever on our telly. We think you're just brilliant. Oh. And you're, you, you, can't, you can't fake uh, that, that sort of care and kindness and consideration you, you give. I mean, you take the mickey, but it's all all right. It's never cruel. It's so cool. You know, and yeah. is, is, is your favourite thing in the world, if you had to pick one of the three things that you're good at, playing the piano, um, doing magic or being on the telly, you know, if you, if you could, if, one of those, if they all paid the same or whatever, took the same type, amount of time or whatever, yeah. which would you pick? Which, what's your favourite thing to do? If I could do a show on the telly that was solely with members of the public, which obviously I do with him for a penny, yeah. but if it was in any way combined with magic, then that would be a dream. But but in for a penny, I've got to be honest, out of all the shows, although it's the hardest one, is my favourite because it's with members so of the good. public. So you know, good. I think I think members of the public all day long over people off the telly. So yeah, it's funny they just give so much more. because you do you do uh, with him for a penny. Um, with regards to uh, game shows, um, what No Lebman's is, um, what was it called? House Party. Deal or No Deal did, because uh, what, what Deal or No Deal did was that they took the creators, the genius creators of it, who I think were Dutch, took the, the best, the most exciting bit of a game show, which is right at the end when the whole game show's over and you've won whatever you've won. Right, okay, do you want to gamble? Okay, you've won five grand or you've won the speedboat or whatever you've won. Do you want to gamble for the da-da? Which Anton Deck still do now, which is brilliant. And they took the yeah. most exciting bit of a game show and they said, well, this is the whole show. And what you've done with In For A Penny, if you don't, you, you've taken the, what we used to do with, um, with Don't Forget Your Toothbrush, which was, the games, which what what people loved, but we had other stuff going on. You've just taken that bit and just done that loads of times. Is there a show on telly anywhere in the world, in the world, right, on prime time that costs less to make? And by the way, that's no slight. Costs less to make and attracts more viewers than your show. I don't think there is. It's the best value for money show ITV have, and I hope they realise it. Well, thank you, because honestly, we we love doing it, and I think you like you say you can tell that. But it is it honestly is a team effort. But I love it. I love it. I love it. And, I hope I actually know that as well. So fingers crossed. All we'll right. soon find out. Okay, we we're have, not back to series four. Yeah, we haven't talked about your new show rolling in it at all because uh, I haven't been invited on it. So thank you, Stephen. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Just watch it. Anything he's on is amazing. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Top travel, fascinating history and exceptionally loud jackets. Our next guest has it all going on. The incredible seventh series of great continental railway journeys starts tonight on BBC Two at 8pm. So please welcome a man who frazzles your brain on a choo-choo train. It's the one and only Michael Portillo. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. What an (laughs) elegant introduction. Thank you so much. Elegant is good, isn't it? I like elegant because you can have elegant uh, quantum physics. Physics theories, can't you? They have a certain beauty, <laughs> a certain naturalness to them, if you know. It's what a I mean. versatile word, oh, yes. Yes. But thank I... you for having me back. Well, Michael, you're very welcome. How are you doing, old Bean? Doing extremely well. Survived uh, lockdown well. I'm I'm very lucky. I live in the centre of London. I've got a garden. We've got wonderful parks. I'm doing well, and we're hoping to yeah. start filming again on Sunday. Okay, and you've got a new job as well, haven't you? Right here with us. 
Uh, yes, a couple of studios along from you, perhaps, is it? At Times Radio. What do you mean, is it? What, do you just fake it till you make it, Michael? Yeah, we're all one big happy family here, for heaven's sake. <laughs> Come on, we go, we go out for a beer after every show, don't we? <laughs> I remember them well. <laughs> Seven till ten on a Friday is my slot on Times Radio. Okay, well I'm, done. I'm loving it. Good, and everybody's loving Times Radio. Of course they are, part of Good. the wireless group here. Right, tell us about your new show. Well, you may remember that we travel around using a guidebook called a Bradshaws normally. And now our guidebook is 1936 and I'm traveling through Europe. So that means I'm traveling through a very difficult uh, period of European history. I start with the Spanish Civil War, which broke out in 1936 and which involved my family. Uh, In Sicily, I'm talking about how the Mafia and Mussolini battled against each other. In Germany, I'm going to the site of the 1936 Berlin Olympics and to the Zeppelin field where the Nazis held their famous rallies in Nuremberg. Uh, I'm uh, in Austria. I look at the balcony where Hitler declared the Anschluss between Austria and Germany. Uh, And uh, for something slightly different, I go to Sweden. They, meanwhile, were not getting involved in World War II. They were developing their welfare state. What a, what a great programme. What a great education. Why isn't this show and other shows like it? And there are millions of them nowadays. You know, why, why isn't it part of the syllabus for, um, uh, for, for schools? Because what a great education coming from you, coming from the heart, coming from your heritage. I mean, wonderful. It's, it's more well, than well, just getting on and off trains, isn't it? It, it, it certainly is, and I, I sometimes curse the fact that we gave it the title Great uh, Continental Railway Journeys because it's put some people off if they don't happen to be interested yeah. in choo-choos. Um, but uh, as far as the syllabus is concerned, I do hear from teachers who, who use the material. Of course, some of it is not highly educational. I mean, uh, for instance, watching me attempt to do the local dance in the main square in Saragossa is, uh, is distinctly not educational. Indeed, it's a, it's a very good example of what people should not do in public. Yeah, but I would beg to differ for that very point. That, that's an education of what not to do, how not to behave, children. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I suppose actually we ought to be encouraging children to do things even if they're, if, even if they're not uh, good at them. Yeah. Um, and that's certainly uh, what I do. I, uh, I have a go, even when it's going to be humiliating. You do have a go, and it's great. And, you know, the more vulnerable you are, the more approachable you are, and the more people want to sort of join in your company, and uh, it's all good in the hood. So you talk there about winding the clock back and going back to uh, the 1930s. If you, if a future Michael Portillo was making this show, say, in, uh, let's say, 2220, um, and they were to rewind the clock to 2020 and take a journey through what were, what's going on now, as many journeys as they could, getting off and on, what do you think our future story of COVID-19 might look like? I think our future is going to look uh, a lot like our past. I think we're going to get over this. Uh, there's a very, very good precedent, of course, which is uh, 1919. There was a terrible influenza epidemic, much worse than this. We now think that between 50 and 100 million people were killed And yet, let's face it, most people, you know, have never even learned about that in history. And when you look back at the way history has been written, we talk about, you know, the end of the First World War in 1918. We talk about uh, the depression of the 20s and the 30s and so on. Uh, Actually, that epidemic, despite its horrendous death toll, greater than the First World War by far, hardly gets uh, a mention. And somehow um, we all went back to normal. So I think we will um, go back to normal. Um, it, it, it's like 
I don't know, when you have a bad episode in your personal life, if you're ill for six months or, you know, if your house has been destroyed by a fire for six months or something, when you're going through it, it seems endless. When you look back on it, somehow I think we have a way of swallowing up, dissolving bad memories. Yeah. This too will pass and all that. Uh, what would you do now if you were in charge right now? Come on, you, you've been very close before. And don't duck this question. Give, give us a minute on this. Come on, Michael. I would want to be cautious, but also highly logical. Right. So let's just take the recent case of the ban. Sorry, not the ban. The averages. The, the, the recommendation that we shouldn't travel to any part of Spain yep. and the imposition of a quarantine if we go to any part of Spain. Now, I can't quite understand how that has been justified because, you know, from the Canaries to Barcelona is twice as far as from Barcelona to London. Yep. So there is no connection between what's going on in Catalonia, what's going on in the Canaries, what's going on in Mallorca, even what's going on in Malaga and the Costa del Sol. So I think you've got to continue to uh, be logical. I think, we, um, I think we absolutely do need to clamp down where we have uh, spikes. So if something happens in Leicester, we've got to be, we've got to be ready to move very fast. I, I think uh, testing, 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 we were told that at the beginning. It remains absolutely true. So, I mean, rather than telling people to go for 14 days to their homes after they've arrived from uh, Spain or indeed the United States or Mexico, um, let's say we're going to come around to your house in three days' time. You better jolly well be there, and we are going to test you because we have the capacity to do this. Testing, testing, testing is what it's all about. All right. OK. Apart from the hokey Did I, did I duck the question? No, you didn't. Sort of, apart from the hokey-cokey, which is also what it's all about. All right. Thank you very much indeed, Michael Portillo. Times Radio's very own Michael Portillo. 7 through to 10, Friday evenings, and the Great Continental Railway Journey Series 7 starts the night. BBC 2, 8pm, and it's marvellous. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We've heard from three great guests already, but hold on. Ladies and gents, there's still so much more to come. Director of Sky Arts, Phil Edgar Jones, shares some exciting news about one of the best channels on TV. Investigative journalist James Nestor exhales deeply and tells us all about his latest book, Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art. And star of Top Boy, Jasmine Jobson, chats her BAFTA television nomination for Best Supporting Actress. All of that and more still to come. So let's get right back to it. Vasos, who's next? If you feel like your work just isn't working for you, then our next guest could be just the job. His new book, Designing Your Work Life, is out on Thursday. So please welcome the Silicon Valley design Don, who's made it his job to improve yours. It's the brilliant <laughs> Bill Burnett. Good morning, Bill. Good morning. Thank you morning, so much for staying up in San Francisco. I'm presuming it's 10 to 1 in the morning there now. Yeah, just about. Yeah, and it's, uh, <laughs> it's fun to be here. So happy Good. to do it. Well, we do sell a few books on this show, so hopefully it'll be worth your while. Right, look at the title chapters. Always a good indicator of if a book's useful or not. Chapter 1, are we there yet? Chapter 2, money or meaning? Chapter 3, what's the problem? 4, my overwhelm is overwhelmed. And then we go on to power and politics. And don't resign, redesign. If you're going to quit, quit well. Move 
move on. Uh, being your own boss. Uh, let's dive into this. Let's get people buying this book. Uh, Bill, where do you want to start? It's up to you. Well, you know, I think uh, a lot of people are um, are working pretty hard right now, and in the COVID crisis, if you've got a job, you really want to keep it, right? You don't want to be moving around. So, uh, uh, and we we like to our, our method is kind of set the bar low, you know. But don't don't try to do heroic things. Do small things, and small things add up to big things over time. So. In the chapter, Don't Resign, Redesign, we have four ways you can redesign your job. You can reframe why you're working and re-enlist. You can remodel the job. You can do some small things to make it better or bigger things to kind of bash out a wall and do something new. You can relocate yourself in the company. Oftentimes, the skills you've got are really valuable somewhere else, and that's kind of a reboot on your whole career. And obviously, sometimes you need to reinvent yourself, maybe even go back and get some new training but we we really think that you know staying where you are and maximizing that uh, the social capital you've got at the place you're already working is one of the best ideas we can come up with. all right now this book is page to page gold people um do us a favor if you don't mind bill can you explain the be lucky experiment oh yeah so this is, this is fantastic so tony shea the guy who started zappos who got pretty lucky he sold it to uh, he sold it to amazon from a billion dollars he had this, he, he liked to make sure that the people who came to Zappos were lucky. So here was the experiment some psychologists ran. They, um, they asked people, do you think you're lucky or not? And people rated themselves from zero to 10, zero, one, two, I'm not very lucky, I don't know why, bad things always happen. Eight, nine, 10, I don't know why, good things always happen. I'm, I'm, I'm a lucky person. Then they had them do a task where they were reading, a, a, you know, they had a big thick newspaper and they said, go through this newspaper and uh, count all the headlines. Well, it turns out it wasn't a real newspaper, right? None, none of these, in the psychology experiments, whatever they tell you to do, that's not the experiment. Uh, it, was a, it was a newspaper that had been doctored and inside the various articles in the paper in a, a bunch of different places was a little piece of text that said, hey, if you've read this, the experiment's over, collect an extra $100. So here's the deal. When the people, um, so the people who read the newspaper, got the right answer, um, but who said they weren't lucky, actually finished the task, they read all the paper, they got the right answer, but they never saw the extra text. The people who saw the extra text and were able to quit early were the people who rated themselves as lucky. So what the, the experimenters concluded was, it's not so much that it's luck, it's that you keep your, you keep your eye on the, on the ball, you get the job done, but you're always looking around to see what else is going yeah. on. You're paying attention to more than just the task at hand. Yeah. So if you uh, want to get lucky, pay attention to more than just what you're supposed to be doing. Make sure you're looking for that little extra piece of of information that might set you apart from everybody else. And uh, we'll leave uh, we'll leave uh, everyone with this one. Once again, the book is Designing Your Work Life. It's a, it's a brilliant, brilliant read. Solid, I promise you, solid gold. Uh, leave us with this one, if you don't mind, Bill. Um, sometimes it helps to want what you get as opposed to obsessing on getting what you want. Oh, this is this is a really big one because people drive themselves crazy. I mean, you know, when we when we started this with the designing your life book and now the designing your work life book, you know, we go we do we do a designer job. We have empathy. We go out and talk to people, and people say, you know, I want to, I just want to be happy. But the thing about happiness is, and this has been studied a lot. There's a guy at Harvard, Dan Gilbert, who's been looking at this question a lot. You know, people think, oh, I just had a little more money, I'd be happy. No, that doesn't. Once you've got a, once you've got enough money, so your safety and security is taken care of, you're done. More money won't make you happy. More, a, a raise won't make you happy, uh, you know, a promotion won't make you happy. What Dan's discovered is that people um, actually synthesize or create their own happiness by wanting what they get. 
right? So it's not about striving for that next thing. Definitely strive for stuff. You know, set your goals. You know, go go for the things that are important. But I can't tell you how many people I've met at my workshops. You know, in their forties and thirties and forties, and they're you know they're doing they're crushing it. They're the CEO of the company or the private equity person or they're the I met a woman who was the head, you know, chief, the head of her law firm, and they're miserable because all they've got was more, but they didn't get what they wanted. And what they and what they've done is they they've gotten into this this crazy treadmill of more, more, more. And that's not how you make yourself happy. You make yourself happy by enjoying the things you have. Yeah, what you're looking for is where you're looking from. Yeah, yeah, and 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 what you pay attention to. Is your reality. So pay attention to what you've already got <laughs> and you'll be a lot happier. Great to meet you. Great to talk to you. And I hope to meet you one day in person, Bill. That'd be exciting. Thank you very much. Cheers, pal. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. If you like us, go potty for Portrait Artist of the Year and silly for the South Bank Show. Well, our next guest has good news here to reveal something very exciting indeed about the UK's only dedicated arts and culture channel. It's the ever so dapper director of Sky Arts, Philip Edgar Jones. Good morning, <laughs> Phil. <laughs> I, think, I think dapper is probably stretching it. I've, since March, I've barely been out of shorts. Doesn't Do matter. Take it, Phil. Yeah. Take it. Um, first of all, Sky Arts. What what a channel! Is there any channel in the world that does as much that is good for the world uh, on the budget that Sky Arts does? I don't think so, Phil. Well, that's very kind of you to say. No, we're, we're we're very passionate about it. We're thrilled that we are taking it so free for everyone to watch now. And it, it, you know, it's been uh, some time in the making. A lot of hard work by a lot of people, but we've got some incredible content on there. So it's a funny thing, actually. People often say to me, like, oh, God, arts is not for me. It's just ballet and opera uh, and stuff that I, I won't really like. And while we do do a lot of that, we also do a huge range of programming, everything from the art of drumming to portrait arts of the year to Brian Johnson interviewing uh, famous stars of uh, rock and roll to Barbara Streisand concerts, Elvis concerts. You name it, we've got it. It's, yeah. uh, it's a great joy to be part of. And all the discovering shows and things like that. And, yeah. um, you know, it's all, it's all, it all stays up there for ages. So, you know, you can get into one of the best rabbit holes of your life getting into Sky Arts On Demand or Catch Up. Yeah, we've got about 2,000 hours, I think it is, of programming on demand. That's only available for Sky customers, of course. But, um, yeah, no, my goodness, I, I still do that. I mean, there's still things on there that I haven't seen, if you can believe that, you know, and I try to watch absolutely everything. But, yeah, you can be... I mean, it's one of those things, you, you're definitely not going to like everything that we've got on the channel, but if you search, you'll absolutely 100% find something that you are passionate about. No, absolutely. Like. We, you will. we all love something, don't we? Yeah, and it's you know the the programs are made with such passion and such sort of sensitivity and fond affection and fandom, if you like. Uh, now that here's the big here is the big breaking story. Uh, off you go. Uh, tell everyone what's going on. Oh, so well, so Skyrush is going free to air on September the seventeenth. Mm -hmm. uh, so that will be on Freeview, so everybody can access it. So there'll be lots of stuff that we've been playing for years that people won't have seen. You know, whether it's our urban myths comedy series, discovering film that we, you mentioned. Uh, Treasures of the British Library, Take Britain's Great British Walk, where celebs go on some of the great walks through the, the scenes of great paintings uh, around the UK. Portrait Arts of the Year, we've got that, and a new series of that coming up. Plus incredible new content. We've got a great documentary uh, about the Style Council, with all the Style Council involved in it. Um, we've got Brian Johnson interviewing Dave Grohl in a 90-minute special, which is absolutely brilliant. Uh, we've got a great new series that we're launching called Landmark, where... 
We're asking communities to get involved in choosing the uh, public car that they, uh, they'll have in their local area that commemorates the person or the thing that they're all um, kind of interested in in their local area. Uh, I, I mean, it's just a whole ton of uh, a great photography competition which we'll be announcing next week where we're inviting people to send in photographs of the summer that never was uh, <laughs> and that'll uh, form a, an exhibition and a book at the, at the end of that series as well. Right. So lots of great stuff. So this is, this is massive. Sky Arts, free to air on Freeview from September, everybody. Uh, so tell all your friends uh, because this is where all the arts fun is. Now, looking at your career, young man, it says here, um, Royal High School, Edinburgh, 1979 to 1983. Uh, then Queen yeah. Margaret University College, 1984 to yeah. 1987. And then the next thing is creative director of Big Brother, 2001 to 2010. But there's a big 14-year gap there, isn't there? So t- tell everybody, inspire people. How did you get from Queen Margaret University College? I what? know, I know, you know I know, but how did yeah. to, to Big Brother? <laughs> what happens in between? Well, gosh, I, I, I came down to London to try and find a job because I couldn't get a job yep. in Scotland. I became a sub-editor of magazines back in the day when you used to sort of manually correct people's spelling and grammar. Uh, and then from there, I got a, very briefly got a job as a TV presenter on a show called Movie Watch on Channel 4. I was a complete and total disaster at that. I couldn't do it for coffee. <laughs> uh, and then I got a job, I don't know, I bizarrely got a job on the Sky Show as a presenter. Equally couldn't do that for coffee. Came to work on the Big Breakfast, Chris, I when know, you were doing it. And I, I, was, I, used to do, I used to do a thing called Snap, Cackle and Pop, <laughs> uh, which uh, if you remember. And I remember one of the, I tell you what, I remember one of the most thrilling moments of my life when I had a Snap, you won't remember this, of course, but I had a Snap, Cackle and Pop on, I think it was a film one, and you said off the back of it, that was brilliant. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I've made it. It was a brilliant yeah. moment for me. And here you are in charge um, now of the most important arts channel in, on the planet, Phil. Yes. And you've yes. been with... The lunatics been... have taken over the asylum, Chris. That's well, right. That's well right. yeah, and it's fine. We got my vote, and hopefully I've got yours. <laughs> it's working pretty well for us so far. You've, you've been with Sky for nine years. They've had the benefit of you for nine years. Um, and they are a brilliant company to be part of. I know that, that we're on their payroll. I get that. But yeah. I'm speaking the truth here. And you, you hopefully uh, would agree with me there now what tell us about the big new um the big new studios that are having built at l street you, what do you know about those because this sounds like a really a genuinely exciting project that will be good for britain good for the industry well there's a Dorothy studio space at the moment and it's an incredible new initiative i can't remember i'm not quite part of that but there's, there's a number of new sound stages where uh, dramas of all sizes and hues can can be made partly with sky and also with other uh, uh, producers as well so it's an incredibly exciting thing it's, it's great for jobs in that area it's great for the economy you know Sky is I mean as you say and it's a brilliant company to work for and it's investing investing people you know and yeah. investing creative people and I think that's part of the sort of Sky Studios push as well to, 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 to really uh, take that to the next level well, Phil, it's great to talk to you again and uh, you know I was being completely sincere that snap cackle and pop was amazing <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was my best snap tackle of the top. Okay, all right. Cheers, pal. Okay, all the best. Well Thank done. You very much. You're very welcome. Sky Arts free to air on Freeview from September. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. We've got another guest to talk to you. Let's go, shall we? Vass us over to you. Our next guest made sure of her big break by throwing a chair across the audition room. That got her the role of Jack in the brilliant Netflix crime drama Top Boy. And she's now been nominated for a BAFTA. Just Helena Bonham Carter to beat now. Please welcome the joyous Jasmine Jobson. Good morning, Jasmine. Live, I understand, from her bathtub. Good morning, Jasmine. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I'm out of the bath now, but good morning. Oh, have you got any splish splash action going on there? Is the water no. still in? You let the plug out? Yeah, it's all done now. It's all done now. I've got to get ready, get my hair sorted. What kind of plug do you have? Do you have a plug on a chain or do you have one of those pop-up plugs that are a nightmare because you oh, end no, up sitting so on them all the time? I a plug on a chain, yeah. I couldn't stand a pop-up plug. Oh, my God, chain, I'd probably break it. How often do you have a bath as opposed to a shower? Uh, well, I bath every single day and shower off straight away after as well. So do you? That's interesting. <laughs> you do both. OK. And is that about to help... in your own dirt, isn't it? Is that to help you psoriasis, the shower afterwards? Uh, well, no, that's more because I believe that you can't sit in your own dirt and then get out and towel off. <laughs> you need to shower that off as well. So right. <laughs> I have a shower in the morning and a bath almost every afternoon, if I can fit one in. Anyway, Jasmine, um, so you should be ready for the virtual BAFTAs. Congratulations oh, on the yeah. big old nomination. Thank how, you. how are you feeling? Oh, I'm literally over the moon. Words cannot describe how excited I am. All right. And uh, now, um, Alex Horn, who is married to Rachel Horn, who works on the show here with us. Rachel, say good morning. Good morning. He's also good nominated uh, for uh, a BAFTA. And, um, oh, congratulations. Rachel's taken oh. us through her virtual preparation <laughs> earlier on the show. Tell us about yours. Um, I have literally just been up since about, I think, about half eight. And I've just been blaring some really, really good tunes, drinking my lemon and ginger tea like it's like water. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then, yeah, just prepping myself, taking my time, really. I'm taking my time. Um, Rachel has said that Alex, her hubby, has had to record an acceptance speech because everybody has just in case they win. Have you done similar? Um, yeah, we've got to record it, yeah, so I'm going to do that later. All right, and do you, do you know what you're going to say? Have you written it yet? Or? Yeah, okay. most definitely. What kind of thing are you going for? What kind of sentiment are you going I for? I'm not telling you anything. Oh, come oh, on! I'm going to spoil it. What's that about? No, I'm not giving you nothing. Well, come, you've told us more. You've told us all. You've been very candid about your bathing habits. Tell us about your speech. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not getting nothing out of me for my speech. I'm going to leave that for later. Lord willing, I win. But you know what? I'm just so grateful to even be nominated, man. It's an absolute blessing. Well, congratulations. I mean, what? what what do you like most about about working um, working as Jack on Top Boy? Tell us, tell us about, tell us, tell us what, what um, really gets would, your juices I would say going. Everything, everything about Jack. Like, I have literally put so much into that character mm. that I couldn't, I could never actually like as much as obviously when you finish work or whatever you do separate yourself from your character and you go home and I'm Jasmine again. But it's like, say if like, I don't know. Top Boy was completely finished. I could never, ever take myself away from that character that I've had. She's always and forever going to be a part of me, you know? So, yeah. I love Jack, man. Good for you. Good for you. I mean, it is absolutely fantastic. No question about that. Um, how did you get the gig? How did they come across you? How did you get onto their radar? Um, Des, yeah. Des Hamilton hit me up um, for an audition and it was absolutely amazing. I went down there and I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to smash it. And I had a, uh, about, I think I had like three recalls, four auditions in total. And my final audition, I actually got to meet all of um, the directors. Right. And it's funny because I heard right at the beginning of my interview you saying that um, I threw a chair across my auditioning room and I literally did. Des told me to go nuts. And I was like, are you sure? Yeah. Because, like, you know, you don't want to hit the roof and then possibly ruin an opportunity because mm. that chance just go for it. So I went for it. And yeah, I literally just missed the window by about a few inches. I'm so happy that I didn't hit it. I, I wonder if that had been a deal happened. breaker as well as a, as a glass breaker if you had hit the window. <laughs> but you know, never leave anything on the pitch. You don't want to go home regretting anything, do you? So that, that exactly. was sound advice. No, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend to any actor to just pick up a chair and just be throwing it across the room. I would always say, always ask how far they want you to go before you just throw a chair clean across the room. See, I, <laughs> I, I think this is why you don't want to tell us about your speech. I think there could be a, a sort of chair throwing element, you know, curveball. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> 
going on there. Uh, be prepared, um, uh, Rachel, because Alex has already recorded his speech. Yeah, I don't know what he's done. Well, I, I think, <laughs> as good as it is, and by the way, your, your husband is a genius and a thoroughly nice fella and a fantastic dad, but I don't think it's going to hold a light to what Jasmine's got. No, I obviously. think Jasmine, if it was a, an award for speeches, Jasmine's going to nail it. By the way, if you, oh, if you, you. If you don't win, right, and your speech isn't used, I think you will win, but if you don't win, because uh, oh. you are up against the, the mighty Bonham Carter, who's also awesome. awesome and, I'm a massive fan. Uh, and other brilliant uh, ladies. Um, can we play your speech out on the show on Tuesday? Oh, yeah, of course. Great. Cause, of cause, course, without a doubt, because it's still, it's still thanking everybody for an opportunity. Do you know what I mean? Oh. I mean, like, you it, know, at the end of the day, like, I woke up one day and just found out that suddenly I was a bastard on my knee. It's not something that I was expecting. It's an absolute dream come true, you know? It's like, I don't do this to win awards, you know? I do this to send a message. So the fact that I'm being nominated for an award and being put in the same category as some of these women... It's just like, wow, you know, these women are really, really talented. And even to be considered on par with them is an absolute blessing. So I'm just so grateful. See, but look, look, that's why you've been nominated, because that's why you because you're doing it for all the right reasons. If you do things for the right reason, you've got all the right help from all the right places, even some you don't even know about or or ever even realise. But you're awesome. You're awesome, Jasmine. Awesome. So how are you going to stay out of trouble till seven o'clock? Well, my agent is going to be keeping me under manners. (laughs) 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 All right. Uh, Love to talk. You good luck. Thank you. God bless. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Okay, everyone, this is something we all do 25,000 times a day, and we're still doing it wrong. The new smash hit book, Breath, the new science of a lost art, aims to get us inhaling longer and happier lives. So get your lugs and lungs around the breath of fresh air that is author James Nestor. Good morning, James. Thank you for having me. Well, you are very welcome. Thank you for your book. Thank you for your 10 years of passionate journalism and investigation, uh, putting this book together. Now, James, this is, a, this is a new one for me. I think I know too much about you uh, to be any good at interviewing you um, because I've read your book and I've watched all the YouTube things you've done. And I also I almost know too much, um, if you know what I mean. So you just got to lead the charge here. It's our job to A, enlighten people, engage people, compel them and to get them to buy your book so it changes their lives and the lives of their loved ones go that's a very tall order um i think that breathing is something that a lot of us take for granted it's something that a lot of us believe that we can just do and we're going to be fine but it's not just doing breathing it's not just that we breathe it's how we breathe that is so essential to so much of our health, happiness, and longevity. And that sounds like a tall order, but I've spent years in this field talking to the experts in this field, and it's 100% true. Now, you are not officially qualified, but you are now qualified. And uh, I know you you sort of wear that badge very lightly, which is the responsible thing to do. It's the opposite of how I go about this show, to be honest, because I now think I'm a breathing expert in the last seven days because I've read your book and watched everything you've ever done and listened to everything you've ever uh, talked about on a podcast. But it's all about nose breathing. So tell us, uh, top five, if you like, you don't have to sort of enumerate them uh, specifically, uh, the, the, the major difference between breathing through your nose and breathing through your mouth and why you have to do the former and not the latter. So about 25 to 50% of the population habitually breathes through its mouth. And it's become so prevalent that people just think it's normal. But it's not. If you go into the wild and look at other animals, they're not breathing through their mouths. Dogs will breathe through their mouths to thermoregulate, but not they will not be breathing through their mouths when they're sleeping. So the big difference here is that the nose is this incredible organ 
that is much ignored in a lot of medicine. And so if you take a billiard ball, just imagine you have a billiard ball and stuff it in the middle of your head. That's how much room the sinuses are taking up. So every time you inhale through the nose, you are removing particulate, you're heating up air, you're moistening it, and you're conditioning it so that you get 25% more oxygen in each breath through the nose than you do through the mouth. So it's so much more efficient. All right, tell us about this um, this equivalence you do of uh, breathing through the mouth is like breathing air as if it were uh, frog pond water as opposed to breathing through the nose when it becomes sort of mountain stream. You really have read the book. Uh, yeah, that was from a researcher in the 1800s that had found, uh, he was one of the first people to go out and study Native American cultures before they were contacted, before they were given guns and liquor and all of that, when they were living the way that they had lived for thousands of years. And he found that they celebrated breathing as an essential medicine. And they swore off ever breathing through the mouth. They said it always leads to sickness and it messes up your face. It messes up the skeleture of your face. What we've learned so many years later is that that is exactly true. Uh, if there's one book you read this year, just for your own sake, make it this one. Uh, Sarah said, uh, James didn't mention what to do if you have bad sinuses and struggle to breathe through your nose, either nostril, both nostrils. Uh, well, lots of people have misshaped noses and don't realize it. Talk about that, please, James, if you don't mind. Sure. I have probably the worst nose of, of all mankind. Uh, I've broken it about four times. I have a severely deviated septum. But it's miraculous what nature can do if you just start breathing through your nose. That's not to say people don't need surgical intervention. Some people absolutely do. But what the chief of rhinology research down at Stanford told me is if you have a toilet that's plugged, what are you going to do? You're going to find a way to unplug it as soon as possible. The nose has to be considered the same way. And the first step in that is to try to breathe through your nose as often as possible. This is a use it or lose it organ. So that's the first step. All right, so what we're going to do here, um, James, and uh, I'd like your sort of take on this, please, if you don't mind. We're going to start this nationwide sort of community where people get together in parks on a Saturday and they get some local breathing, th local and qualified breathing therapists, and they get together for 90 minutes every Saturday throughout the UK on the back of your book um, at 10 o'clock every Saturday morning or maybe 9 o'clock, and they get together to, to, to breathe together. Uh, do you approve of that? We, th we think we're going to go ahead with that. We're going to call it a matter of life and breath uh, forgive the pun is that okay with you that's a beautiful idea do it outdoors so that uh you know and space people out but but what a wonderful thing this is stuff that's free it's available to everybody and for what i've seen for the past several years it can be absolutely transformative to health right what else do you want to say before you go because i know it's very late for you there well very early in the morning for you there it's now what is it one o'clock two minutes past one in the morning i think that the last thing is that you know all of this seems so simple and for so long it's been largely ignored by the medical community, but that's starting to change now with COVID. And just because it's simple doesn't mean it doesn't work. If something can be measured, it can be studied. And if it can be studied, it can be proven right or wrong. And breath can absolutely be studied and measured. And we're finding right now that it can have just such a profound effect on lifespan, on mental health, and on physical health. All right, the book is called Breath. Um, you're listening to James Nestor here. And I've got to tell you, James, best book I've read this year, maybe top five of my life with a bullet.
Oh, that's amazing. Thank you very much. I really appreciate You're that. very welcome. And James should have been over here talking about his book on a talking tour, uh, but we will worship at his altar of breathing um, forevermore. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Extreme wealth, consuming revenge and startling secrets. Just some of the ghastly but gripping goings on dreamt up by our next guest. Her smash hit 10th novel, Queen Bee, is out now in paperback. And after hearing you two talk about it this morning, I really need to read it. So please welcome the Sunday Times best-selling sensation, Jane Fallon. Good morning, Jane. Hello. Congratulations on your 10th novel. How does that feel? Thank you. It feels uh, bizarre and amazing <laughs> and uh, makes it incredibly old, actually. How long ago was it that you put pen to the paper the first time from a publication point of view? Uh, from a publication point of view, that would be 2006. From a personal point of view, it would be about the early, mid-1960s. <laughs> when you were born. I've been to write, yeah, I've been trying to write books my whole life. But yeah, 2006 was when the first one got published. So what was the first piece of literature you got paid for? Uh, oh, gosh. Well, if you discount all the TV bits and pieces that I did, then it probably was that first novel, because that was the first time I was brave enough to actually send it out there and try and get a publisher. Right. And what have you learned from the first novel to the 10th, which is in my sweaty paws now? Uh, well, I have definitely learned that at about 40,000 words in when I'm writing the first draft, I'll have a complete breakdown and I'll start crying and throwing <laughs> things around the room and saying, this is all rubbish, I've got to throw it away. So now at least I know that that's inevitable and that I can work my way through it. Right, well, Jane, I couldn't put it down yesterday. I didn't put it down until I got to the Thank end. You. So here Excellent. we here we go. First question, um, uh, who is Laura? Where did Laura come from in your writing, your creative brain? Why did you give birth to her and what is she here to tell us? Uh, well, I always like to try and write heroines that I think you'd kind of want to spend time with. Yeah. So, um, you know, I like the fact that she has these sort of very strong... Um, sense of herself and these very strong morals and I've wanted to write something about that kind of very specific bunch of super rich people for a while and I thought it would be nice to have a fish out of water go into that world so I thought to have her who was an an ordinary person who was struggling who was worrying about her divorce and her kid and her job and everything and put her up against these people who just have all the money in the world and absolutely no taste or individuality would be quite fun. But, but again, the, the sort of the common link is everybody has their vulnerabilities. Everybody's a bit broken. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's true, isn't it? No one in the world is 100% bad or 100% good. Everyone's got, you know, things going on. And I think it's definitely true that with Stella, the Queen Bee character, mm. um, even though she seems absolutely awful, you kind of you hopefully warm to her a bit because it's all a front, really. It's yeah. all a defensive front. And there'll be trauma in the past and you get back to that. Of course you do. I think the real Queen Bee is Gail. Oh, I love Gail. Gail yeah. is the, uh, the declaring one that doesn't know, the woman that Laura rents her house off. And she's the most normal person living in the close. She has, she's actually the only other female in the close that works for a start. Now, Rachel and I both thought that, que- that, uh, that Gail was too good to be true. And I thought, oh, you're stoking this one up. You're stoking this fire uh, far too uh, readily. And I thought she was going to turn on us. I won't say whether she does or not later uh, <laughs> on in the book. Uh, but awesome characters, awesome stories. Um, Thank you. Now, the blokes don't come off great in this. Well, the two, the two main protagonists for obvious reasons. But again, broken people. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, they're, they're sort of trying to do their best in life, I suppose. I mean, I'm always slightly more interested, I think just being a woman myself, I'm slightly more interested in the female relationships. And also because I think I know them better. Yep. I understand female friendships better. So um, I always tell it from their point of view. 
Right um, now. But yeah, the, the men are quite, uh, you know, they're quite kind of, even though they're a bit mean, some of them, they're kind of quite sad underneath it all. They're quite sad underneath it all. But again, you know, the, the, you know, Laura and Stella are attracted to the guys, so there must be something going on there, and there must be sort of some, 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 uh, some connection, uh, at least in the past, if not in the present, and definitely not. Because of Michaela. Uh, in the future. No, I suspected Michaela from the beginning, Stones. Rachel, for heaven's sake. Now, when, you write, when you're writing a book like this, Jane, uh, Jane do you, 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 you sort of you plant all these potential um, entertainment and narrative bombs in the first chapter or two. And is it a case of the more you plant, the more confusing it is for the reader and the more clever you can be in the end? And it's your book, so you're entitled to be, of course. Yeah, I think that's completely true. And I think my, work, my writing works best when I have a lot going on and a lot of plots. So I like to have as many kind of potentials for twists and turns and all that kind of thing. So I think it's exactly that. I like to plant bombs along the way to keep people hooked. And the other thing, the other sort of glaring uh, thing that jumped out at me was it's all pre-COVID. So it's almost like le- re- reading a historical novel now because nothing of what we're experiencing now, which is so prevalent in our lives and on our radars, is, is going on. You know, when you sit down to write your next book, well, first of all, let's talk about this one, you know, being a non-COVID book. You know, it's, it's very interesting to read that now, even though it's a fresh book. It's a brand new book, but it has no reference to the world around us. So it's more of an escape than ever. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I mean, I think uh, luckily for me in my head, it was set sort of last summer. Um, I think it's going to be a whole, and I think people need escapism at the moment, but I think it's going to be a whole different thing. I'm trying to write my next one at the moment. And I mean, the way, the best way I can think to get around it is to set it all in January and February, just before it all started. Because next year, are we going to want to read all about? Oh, I don't know. We're sick of it, aren't we? Well, it's, no, it, 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 it's like that's like, is anything good or bad? It's thinking that makes it so we're either sick of it one day or we're not sick of it the next day. But I take your point. Uh, Jan, Feb, will there be? Will you be alluding to news, you know, whispers coming out of China about something that may or may not be true? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I also, I don't quite know how many fictional months it's going to take for my story to pan out. So I'm worried I'm going to tip into the beginning of it. I think I've just got to kind of deal with it as I go along, really. What might your next book be about? Uh, my next book may obviously I'm coming up to the crucial 40,000 words so I might throw it all in the bin tomorrow but it may or may not be around the idea that on social media you can be anyone you like so you can be on there and make a make a friendship but not be the person who you say you are so it's kind of in that arena all right Jane well uh, thank you for the book uh, well done congratulations um thank you are we talking is it a fi- are we talking five out of five Rach oh we're talking 10 out of five Okay, Yay. there you go. Jane Fallon from the author of Faking Fantastic. Friends. Fantastic. Uh, Queen Bee, Every Neighbourhood has one. And uh, Jane there talking to us live on the radio about it. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky. 